What's up, everybody? This is Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And before we start another episode, I just have a few announcements for you all. First, remember to register for Courageous Conversations. It's August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia. Early bird registration is available to June 1st. We have room blocks available, so make sure you go to Courageous Convos, Courageous, C-O-N-V-O-S dot org. Also, we have merch available. People have been asking us for Jew3 apparel. Now it's there. If you go to Jew3project.com, you can get a hoodie, you can get a t-shirt, even got a coffee mug for you. So check it out at Jew3project.com. And thank you for all of those who partner monthly with us financially. We could not do what we do without people like you. And for those who aren't a financial partner with us, please consider becoming one. Pray about it. You could give whatever you have, 5, 10, 15. We have some people that give a dollar. Whatever we you have, it helps us um, with the mission and vision of the Jude 3 Project and helping black Christians know what they believe and why they believe it. So without further ado, let's get into the next episode of our podcast. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by another special guest, soon to be Dr. Marcus Jerkins. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. Thank you uh, for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, can you give our audience just a little bit of background about who you are? Sure. Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I went to Emory University for my bachelor's of arts degree, my master of divinity degree, my uh, master of theology degree. And now I'm doing my PhD in New Testament studies at Baylor University. And uh, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been a preacher uh, for the vast majority of my life, Um, but now God has me uh, as a preacher uh, also functioning as a scholar. And so I've been um, doing this uh, work in biblical studies and uh, hoping to use this uh, research that I'm doing for, for the sake of the gospel. Awesome. And I just uh, wanted to get you on the podcast after we talked about your dissertation um, on uh, the br- Black presence in the Bible, which is so critical to the work we're doing here at the Jude 3 Project. Um, tell us about uh, what your dissertation is like, just the thesis, and why was it important for you to study that topic? So when I uh, applied to Baylor uh, many, uh, well, not many years ago, I guess, <laughs> well, almost uh, four, yeah, five years ago now, um, uh, at the time I had written a paper when I was doing my Master of Theology on uh, Luke chapter 10 uh, and the fall of Satan. Uh, Jesus talks about, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And I noticed uh, that there was something interesting going on in Luke's gospel regarding uh, the fall of Satan and the rise of the people of God. Um, and that, that language, you can see that language in Luke chapter 10 about Satan's fall and the people of God's name, uh, their names are written in heaven. And uh, I wanted to uh, further explore that concept. What does it mean uh, for God's people to have their names written in heaven? And I noticed something interesting in Luke uh, that Luke 
uh, as a synoptic gospel, does something that uh, Matthew and Mark uh, do not do. Luke tries to emphasize the fact that God's people are God's children. That son is, a, in fact, in the Greek is huios. The Greek word huios means son. Um, and that language features more prominently in Luke's gospel than it does in Mark and Matthew. In, in particular, uh, the resurrection uh, argument that Jesus has with the Sadducees in both Matthew and Mark is extended. Uh, that narrative is extended in Luke. Uh, Luke adds language where Matthew and Mark does not have that. And that it says that uh, those who are worthy to be part of the resurrection, um, he says they are they do so because uh, they are the sons of the resurrection. They are the sons of God. And I and I caught hold to that um, and I connected that to the earlier idea I had about the rise of God's people. And um, I was wondering, given and, it, and it, because I, I heard read this quote from Du Bois recently, but it, it's, this was the mindset I had back then. I was wondering if there was a way I could engage uh, my scholarship to the culture and something that's relevant to me and my own experience. And, 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 I, and I found that that particular idea about the, the rise of God's people, God's exaltation of human beings. Um, and in the resurrection, Luke says, and, and other gospels say this, you'll, the other gospels say you'll be as the angels uh, uh, Luke says, you'll be equal to the angel, Esau Angelo, uh, you'll be equal to the angels. And I was wondering, you know, how might we understand kind of the taxonomy of human identity um, and how human beings relate to angels and then really relate to God? How, how, how does exaltation work? Um, how might that uh, have an impact on how we understand ourselves as people? And so this is what in, in, in a lot of New Testament scholarship, and not just New Testament scholarship, but in in, in the in scholarly communities and at writ large, we call anthropology, right? So we have, you know, uh, uh, it's not, you know, what uh, uh, other scholars have done, bio, you know, cultural biology, cultural anthropologists and biological anthropologists, but this is theological anthropology. And I was interested in what that meant from a scriptural point of view, especially given, in, uh, given Luke's emphasis on the exaltation of people to be God's children. Um, and I stumbled upon just, you know, reading through Luke and I saw this sun language and I was wondering what might this mean in the context of how the gospel is preached in the book of Acts. And I, I wanted to say, I wanted to figure out, okay, well, uh, when we look at the exaltation of human beings, when it comes to Israel, that makes, you know, you get that. Okay. God's reclaiming his people. Uh, you know, these are God's children. You get that language all throughout the old Testament. Uh, the sons of the, the children, these are, these are the children of God. Uh, but what about non-Jews? Um, and, 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 and again, trying to make this relevant for my own people, my eyes ran straight towards the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, and that's the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, I wondered what, what was the relationship between Luke's gospel the exaltation of human beings, uh, and, uh, and and then Acts chapter eight, and if there was anything else going on there. And uh, when I started doing research on this issue, I discovered that uh, one of the things that's ignored, especially uh, amongst uh, current scholars, modern scholars, and even some ancient writers, is the fact that the emphasis of that text is on the fact that this is a black man who is claimed 
by God. And I found that to be interesting, especially, again, trying to see relevance here. Um, uh, looking at W.B. Du Bois and others who said that my scholarship has to be able to impact my culture. Uh, I saw, I, I saw it wasn't just me trying to tailor the situation to my situation, but the text itself spoke to my situation even before I saw it, that, that the Bible in Acts chapter eight was trying to emphasize that God in God's willingness to save and reclaim the world and to claim the nations for himself, God first reached out to a black person and emphasized the fact that this person was black. And that's why it's important because it could have said an Egyptian um, uh, uh, or, or someone, someone else. It could have been, God could have arranged anyone, but it's an Ethiopian. And in the ancient world, this is important, in the ancient world to speak of Ethiopia or to speak of an Ethiopian is to automatically mean that you're speaking of a black skinned person. And, uh, and, and for me, that was important because, and this, you know, it's not much has to be said on this, uh, in our culture, uh, in American culture and other, many other places around the world, being black skin or being, you know, darker skin is a curse. It seemed to be a problem. And yet when God desired to start the Gentile mission, when God desired to to, to claim the nations for God's self, God reached out uh, to black skinned people first, a black skinned person first. And I wanted to understand why uh, in Luke's historiography, why in Luke's reading of the beginning of the church, why he even included the story, what were the larger theological implications? And uh, it took me also to uh, Acts chapter 13 with, uh, with uh, Simeon, uh, who is called uh, the the Latin word nigger, um, but Simeon, which I can translate, one can translate as Simeon, the black man, who is from, uh, who appears to be, given his co-location with Lucius of Serene, appears to be another a Serenian or, or or person from Libya, and so there's something there. You know, uh, I'm sure you you all have talked you talked this before talked about this before. Thomas Oden does a lot of work on early African Christianity, and he does a lot of work on Libyan Christianity in particular, um, and the African memory of Mark and so forth. And I, and I, and I, I, so my dissertation has been growing from that particular perspective. In fact, I was privileged uh, to have the opportunity uh, to give a paper, uh, uh, I think uh, a week ago, at the regional uh, Southwestern, uh, Southwestern Religious uh, Commission uh, 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 and uh, I, uh, in the SBL portion, the Society of Biblical Literature portion, where I gave a paper on uh, uh, Greek, the Greek, a Greek novel called The Ethiopian Story, or An Ethiopian Story. And it deals with uh, blackness, the blackness of, 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 the, of Ethiopian skin, and, and in particular, something interesting, a white Ethiopian, which is something that's strange in the ancient world. Uh, and so, uh, it was important for me in that paper to try to bring up uh, how uh, the New Testament contrasts with the story in that I, in, in my reading of the New Testament, the New Testament dignifies the blackness of this man's skin. God claims this man, in my reading of it, God claims this man because he's black, not in spite of the fact that he's black. And his blackness is important to God because God made him black man. And so, uh, my argument in my dissertation is going to be 
about the exaltation of black skin as something that's important to God. Um, and, uh, and because, and, and in part because, and, and we'll talk about this if you want to ask me further about this, in part because, Lisa, uh, in the ancient world, black skin was a problem to many. Um, and so for God, God allowed his writers to uh, set their record straight to say blackness is not a problem. Black skin is not a problem. Being brown skin is not a problem. But it's something that God gave and it's beautiful. And it's something that God says is in his image just as much as any other color. Mm-hmm. And I love that um, you led to my next question. Um, how did the ancient world view um, darker skin people? Um, I know uh, modern ra- uh, racism is a kind of a modern construct, uh, but there was still some um, prejudices and uh, um, some challenges with the view of uh, black skin people in that day, even before they titled it uh, what we have in our modern constru- construct, especially in the West. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's one of the interesting things about it. Um, <clears throat> so it depends on uh, what well, you have people like. So let's say, let's start with Homer. So Homer uh, discusses uh, two kinds of Ethiopians, right? So let's let's well let's before we even do that, let's talk about the word Ethiopian itself, right? Ethiopian is an adaptation of the Greek word itho uh, and ops. Um, there's a contraction. Itho means uh, burn or to burn, and ops means face. So Ethiopian means burnt face. So when people were talking about Ethiopians, they were talking about people whom they considered to be people who are burned by sun. And we even say that, we even say that about ourselves, right? We say we are people who are kissed by nature's sun. Um, and so this is this is where the, the word itself comes from. And so you have someone like Homer, who's ancient writer, uh, 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 ancient Greek writer, one of the found, you know, one of the uh, uh, kind of the foundations for the Greek uh, Greek uh, philosophy, poetry, and so forth, uh, who says that you have two kinds of Eth- uh, Ethiopians. You have Ethiopians uh, in the South and you have Ethiopians in the East. Uh, and Ethiopians in the South were the ones who are in what we uh, call Nubia. Uh, and the ones in the East are people in India, right? So you have black-skinned people over there and black-skinned people uh, in Africa. Um, and he said, uh, that uh, the 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 uh, there were the ones in Africa were the ones that um, uh, that Zeus and Poseidon both had dinner with them. So it's an interesting concept. He called them incomparable. You have also someone like uh, Diodorus, uh, who's for around first century B- BC. Uh, Diodorus would describe Ethiopians as people who have customs that are pretty much beneath civilized Hellenistic society. Um, these people, uh, he said, they had shrill voices. They, they said they have, um, they had, uh, they were actually ran around like an, wild animals, and they had black skin and woolly hair. I mean, he associates these things, excuse me, with with uh, associates their phenotype, um, their skin color, and so forth, uh, with their behavior, right? Who they, what, how they look, uh, kind of tells us about how they behave, and this is linked to. Um, what we call physiognomy. Um, so physiognomy is using someone's appearance uh, to say something about their character. And that's uh, what racism essentially is, right? Uh, and uh, it, so you have more 
more on the side of benign forms of, of physiognomy in the in the ancient world. You didn't have chattel slavery like we have, you know, in, in the uh, uh, in the modern period. But but that's the foundation, right? So um, um, Rodney Sadler, who, whom you had on the panel, uh, uh, Dr. Sadler argues uh, that in the ancient world you have what he calls racialism rather than racism. Um, but you have, and I, and I would agree with him in that regard, um, but uh, I, I would press a little bit more because you do have some outright forms of racism um, because in the ancient world, people were a little bit looser with how they categorize people. And so they thought, you know, if your if your nose was too long, uh, that that meant that you were uh, if you had an eagle looking nose, that that meant that you were noble, you look like an eagle. Right. So it's called zoological physiognomy. Right. And you have ethnographic physiognomy and all uh, different kinds of ways people in the ancient world um, understood how, you know, appearance would reflect character. Uh, and so in particular. This uh, in the ancient world, you have all these different ideas, and and, and one more person bears mentioning uh, is a guy named Philo who follows pseudo Aristotle. Pseudo Aristotle said, "If you're too black, something is wrong with you. If you're too white, something is wrong with you." And pseudo Aristotle makes uses these same kinds of judgments um, and says that uh, that people who uh, are black, in fact, he, he you know Philo of Alexandria. A uh, Jewish writer from around, actually near contemporary with Jesus, uh, uh, Pseudophilo, oh, I'm sorry, not Pseudophilo, but Philo of Alexandria says in his analysis of the book of Genesis, if you read Genesis 1, it's very interesting. Genesis 1 talks about where the Garden of Eden is located. And you'll notice that one of the rivers that flows uh, around the Garden of Eden flows also, the Bible says, into Cush, right? The, the Hebrew word for Ethiopia or what we call Ethiopia. Oh, Ethiopia is what ends up getting translated in the Septuagint or Cush almost everywhere. Uh, but uh, anyway, so this river flows in. So anyway, Philo in his commentary on the book of Genesis talks about this river. And he says, and it's not interesting, he says that the river flows into Ethiopia because uh, uh, the river is there to give courage because he says Ethiopia means humiliation. Right. And so he's following here pseudo Aristotle, who says that to be too black means to be humiliated or to be cow. He says the Greek word deloy. He says you're cowardly. So but he uses that same concept and says that to be too black uh, or to be Ethiop Ethiopian and to be burnt faced is to be humiliated. And this is what's important. This is one of the arguments I'm making in my in my dissertation, something that, I, that I've been interested, puzzled as to why I've not seen commentaries on the book of Acts deal with this particular uh, issue uh, or uh, in other writings, writers who deal with the Ethiopian eunuch narrative, I'm not seeing this dealt with, that the scripture that the Ethiopian is reading deals with the servant song, the part where he talks about the humiliation of the servant. And for an ancient reader uh, who's reading about an Ethiopian, knowing possibly about what uh, what Philo would have said and, and what other writers would have said about um, Ethiopians and being cowardly because of how they look and humiliated because of how they look. It's interesting that that the, 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 the reader would pick up on the fact, I believe, that this Ethiopian is reading a text that was should 
connect with him in that it should indict him because he's supposed to be humiliated. But the point of the text is to say that you are not humiliated because of how you look, that your blackness is not at all a sign of humiliation because the servant of the Lord, the one who was crucified, he himself was humiliated. So, so the argument I believe that Luke is trying to give us in, in, through history is to show us that the Ethiopian eunuch in, him, in his coming to the Lord is, is, is being identified with by Jesus himself, that Jesus himself identifies with this man's blackness in his humiliation. And I think that's profound. I think that's powerful. And that shows me that Luke is very particular in saying that God wanted, when he wanted to save the world, the first people he wanted to reach was black folk. And that says something to me. That says that it means something. And it, it may explain, and this is me stepping out of my scholarly shoes and over to my, over to my, uh, my preacher's shoes. This says something to me about why history is the way it is and why God, I believe, is using African people, African, the sons and daughters of Africa in the way he's used us to show the world that, that, that what oppression really is and what, what the nature of, of evil really is um, and uses us as beacons uh, of his gospel to share with others about the profundity of it. Um, I believe that, that, that the scriptures themselves are meant to show us that God desires African sons and daughters. And from the beginning, God was always intentional about this. This was no accident. And unlike much scholarship, Lisa, um, that we have today, this was not something that, it's not a throwaway passage. A lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but a lot of scholars think this particular passage is a throwaway passage about the Ethiopian eunuch. They say there's no point um, in, in Luke's gospel uh, this doesn't connect to the gospel, and there's no overall point for the book of Acts. But I think it's absolutely important, and it shows us God's intentionality towards rescuing black-skinned people. And I think it also speaks to the validity of the New Testament, um, because if the nature of people was to look down upon um, darker-skinned folk, um, and if there was... European influence and the translation of scripture, um, it would seem to me that that wouldn't be included. Yeah. Um, because it empowers those of us that are sun kissed, uh, that our melanin is popping. Uh, it empowers <laughs> us because God used, um, we were the first um, yeah. to, to be converted as Gentiles. Um, and also I think it challenges a narrative that um, it kind of undermines some of the, the Hebrew Israelite uh, rhetoric we hear about conversion, blackness and Jewish nature. Um, so mm -hmm. it, is, it is very, it's a very, I think, important tax impact uh, with things that we can use as black people dealing with challenges today. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and 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 yeah. So, and, I, and I, just to say this, just for because I, I know someone watching this might say, well, well, you know, well, the, the Book of Acts chapter fifteen says that Cornelius they they were the first uh, uh, 
what's what's what Acts shows us, I believe, and this is what's interesting, it's clear that Cornelius was not the first because because Craig Keener argues that the uh, that the Ethiopian eunuch narrative is offered is given the privilege of chronology that the Ethiopian eunuch is the first uh, the first group of people to be converted came from uh, Cornelius and his his church that met the church that well the group of people that met in his house but what's clear I think is that Luke wants us to see that God began the mission with the Ethiopian eunuch. And and, is, and Luke is very clear that he's going back home. And so we, we know that the oldest Christian denomination in the world is from Ethiopia, right? It started, happened to start somewhere. And I think Luke is trying to alert, alert us that God began his work trying to get people in the South, um, the black skinned folks, uh, get those people right. And the point, and this is, this is really, I want to make sure I say this. The point of that is to say, one, he's undermining, he's subverting conceptions in that culture about the irrelevance of these people. That's one thing. Second, uh, he's also saying, because you think these people are irrelevant, because you marginalize these people, you think them to not be important to me. When I reach them, I'm showing you I'm going to reach everybody. Uh, and, and, and because in the ancient world, right, uh, uh, and this is why grace is so such a such an interesting concept. In the ancient world, you don't give things to people who can't give stuff back to you, right? You don't help people who can't help you back, right? And, and so the point of the gospel is to say God reaches those who can't pay him back, which shows that he's going to get everybody because if they can't help God, we hope he's certainly going to get people who, you know, so that that's that's the point is that these people uh, in many, by, not again, not everybody, but there were many people in the ancient world who thought that, you know, African people were a lower, lower people just by virtue of the fact that they were black skin. And uh, the, so the opposite end of valorizing them was to demonize them and to associate them with darkness and night and evil uh, and uh, because of the color of their skin. Um, and the gospel says no. Uh, uh, in the gospel, we, we understand that that Jesus died for everybody. Died, Jesus dies to rescue all of the shades of Adam, all of God's God's uh, people um, who came who, who came from God. Uh, God wants to reclaim all of them, and the black skinned people he starts with first because they are essential to the to uh, his plan. Mm -hmm. That's definitely that's definitely helpful. When we think about uh, Simon of Cyrene, sure. Um, in the black presence in the Bible, sure. Would you classify him as a, a part of a part of that uh, coalition of the the black pres presence in, sure. the, in the Bible? Sure, that's a, that's an interesting point. I mean, so there's a lot of debate about that, and, I, and I'm probably going to end up arguing that Simon Serene is black. Um, there's some arguments to. I mean, there's 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 some credibility to arguing that he wasn't, you know, necessarily, you know, black as maybe me, you know, I am. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he was a brown skin. Uh, uh, if he were Jew, he could, so, 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 so possibility he could have been a Jew, right? He could have been a Jewish because uh, there were many, many Jews all throughout North Africa and um, even in all the way down to Ethiopia, so definitely in Egypt. So there were Jews all throughout Africa in that in that area, and that and not all throughout, not Western Africa, but you know, in the North Africa and so forth. Uh, but uh, so so that's certainly possible that. He could have been a Jew, 
Um, but I'm before, you, before you go further, I want to make sure that our audience knows who Simon of Cyrene is. Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> Simon of Cyrene is the one who assisted Jesus uh, <laughs> on the on his way to to be crucified. Thank you. Yes. So 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 Simon in uh, Simon and and then also has two sons. Uh, that uh, uh, the, the Mark tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and 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 um, Paul actually makes mention um, of uh, of one of them, uh, one or both of them. I can't remember at this point, but one or both of these uh, brothers. Uh, and so uh, I think that's uh, that's essential. So it's possible that these that Simon was a, just a, a you know Jew, brown skinned Jew. We know he was. Here's the point: he wasn't European. <laughs> he he was a, he was Jewish. Either, either Jewish or he could have been a, certainly a black proselyte, which I believe Lucius of Cyrene was. I believe uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was cert- that was a proselyte, black skin proselyte. Uh, and I believe uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, Simeon Niger um, was, a, was a nigger, was a, was a proselyte. Uh, and Acts chapter 13 is important. Acts chapter 13 gives us uh, the list of people who, are, who pray for Paul and Barnabas and send them out. On the mission, and I believe two black-skinned men were part of that group in Antioch, which shows us that, uh, and we know there were. His his was interesting. We know black-skinned folks were everywhere around the ancient Mediterranean world. Um, in my dissertation, and I'll send this to you another time, Lisa. I think it's interesting. In um, Pompeii, you you know about Pompeii. Pompeii is the place that was uh, uh, destroyed by Mount. It destroyed um, and um, had some issues because of, uh, I believe, Mount Vesuvius. So if, if I'm wrong on that, forgive me, but I, but I believe that's what, what happened. But anyway, but the ancient city of Pompeii uh, is, a, is, a, a, is important uh, in, in the study of, of ancient physiognomy because uh, you have images in ancient Pompeii of Ethiopians. Now, Pompeii is, 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 an, is, an, uh, is nowhere near Ethiopia. And yet we have Ethiopian images there. Uh, you can go to all places, many places around the ancient Mediterranean where you have Ethiopians because black folk, and here's my point, black folk were everywhere. <laughs> That's my point. You had black folks in Greece. You had black folks in Italy. You had black folks. I mean, you had black folks everywhere, right? Because these people traded um, and, and and these societies were more intermingled. Um, and so I believe we have black people in Acts chapter 13 uh, in Antioch of Syria and they were a part of the group that sent Paul and Barnabas off to their mission. Uh, and so I think that's important uh, because we need to understand again, that from the very genesis of the Christian church at its very foundation, we have black people involved. This was not a white man's religion. It never was. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, that's, a, that's, a, that's a silly thing to say. It's really almost, and it's, it borders on anti-Semitic, really. Because Jews were the, are the foundation of the Christian gospel, um, God used Israel, um, and 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 the peoples who were part of Israel, which and, and you know this, they came out of Egypt, and there were Ethiopians in Israel. There were people, all kinds of African people who were connected to Israel. And you read the Old Testament, you can't read the Old Testament and not see that God has always loved and desired and had a relationship with. Israel and Ethiopia and Egypt in some way. And so it's no, it's not a surprise then that when you get to the New Testament, you got people from Ethiopia and Egypt and so forth, African people, 
who are part of the initial, you know, the founding of the church. It's not a surprise. Uh, and so I think that's that's absolutely uh, fundamental to recognize that um, that uh, these debates are are really the way they are, Lisa, because we don't know our history. And so we're saying stuff out of ignorance. And I'm not it's not trying to I'm not trying to be mean, but we're saying stuff because we just don't know. We're, we're saying we're trying to we have to make stuff up because we don't know what's real and what's what's really going on. And so if we actually read the text for what it says, do historical exegesis, we don't have to put nothing in there, just do historical exegesis, we'll see, we'll discover that these texts bear out that from the beginning, God has always concerned himself with black skinned people and that we're valuable to him. And that's awesome and helpful. What resources would you recommend for those who want to study more on this topic? So I would definitely um, recommend uh, so I'm I'm doing some research that uh, is interesting, but I would definitely I recommend uh, uh, my research is going to be kind of new in a lot of ways because Las Gospel doesn't cover this. But Clarice Martin wrote her dissertation many years ago on the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, uh, and I think that's um, Dr. Martin did an excellent job. Her thesis was uh, very important on this. Um, I would say uh, Dr. Sadler's book on uh, Kush, uh, uh, Kush, Kushites in, in, the, in the Bible. Um, I would also recommend uh, Dwight McKissick's book, uh, Pastor McKissick's book on Black, uh, Beyond Roots, uh, Black Presence in the Bible. Um, and um, Greg Keener's commentary on the book of Acts is also important. He gives a lot of ancient resources and other material uh, that you should use. Ben Witherington's commentary on the book of Acts as well. Um, and there are other uh, books. And, and so if, if readers would like a bibliography, I would certainly be willing to compile one. Um, I'm using it myself, <laughs> write my dissertation. Uh, so I have to have one, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so uh, those books are, would be good books. Uh, Gabe Byron's book on, um, on, uh, symbolic, uh, blackness. I would recommend her book, uh, because this is important. I mean, th there may be some theological issues here and there with all these different books that people may have. But what's important, I think, of all with all of them is that they give you a reference, um, a, a, a database of resources from which you can draw and, and discover uh, a lot of helpful things and, and viewpoints about how the ancients viewed blackness and why blackness is important to God. So, yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. How can people get in contact with you um, on social media? So my uh, Twitter handle is Rev M Jerkins, Marcus Jerkins. You can look me up on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Facebook uh, uh, is uh, Marcus Jerkins. You can look me up there. Um, and uh, anytime, anywhere you look for Marcus Jerkins, there's only a couple of us in all of America. Jerkins is a very uncommon name. So you look up Marcus Jerkins, you find a Marcus Jerkins on the internet, it's probably me. Uh, so yeah, but those two uh, uh, social media handles of mine should work. And if people want to reach me there, that's fine. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. I appreciate you uh, for coming on the podcast. And remember, everybody who is listening, we have Courageous Conversations coming up uh, August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia at the Greater Piney Grove Baptist Church. We would love to see you there. We have 28 scholars, seven different conversations like Rethinking Hell, uh, What is Sin, Discerning Truth, 
Um, if you go to CourageousCombos.org, you can see a full list and you can register. The early bird registration is till June 1st. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Group registration will be up. And also we have room blocks available on the website as well. So I look forward to seeing you there. I know that last year we had a great time and I'm expecting God to do even more for this this year. Also, if you would like to be a partner with Jude 3 Project, we would greatly appreciate it. Anything you can give monthly, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 10,000. Uh, if you're able to do, do that much, we would greatly appreciate yeah. it. Give at Jude3project.com backslash donate. Um, and remember here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.